Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Texas. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hunter here. I've been hunting for a few years so I've seen my fair share of weird shit. Mutilated rabbits killed by coyotes among other things. Bobcat screams are also pretty freaky. But one day while walking on my property through the woods I heard some branches quietly break about 30 yards ahead. Nothing too weird about that as rabbits and coyotes bump into them all the time. It happened again but this time a little closed into my right side. I unholstered my .45 XDS, I like the compact version because it feels better. Ready to shoot a hungry coyote. 
The day before my neighbor told me how a few women in Little Elm got mauled by some pissed off coyotes a few days earlier. So I was ready to shoot. Anyways, I shined my flashlight through the trees and didn't see anything. Kept walking but a little faster and I heard a high scream with low undertones. Didn't sound like nothing I've ever heard before. I swear it sounded like a bobcat f-ed Batman. Took off sprinting back to my house a mile or so away. I'm near the woods tree line and look back to see a hunched shadow 40 yards behind starring at me. Like a person trying to walk on all fours. It was dark so it might have been my imagination. Nope the f out and got to my house. Never seen it since and didn't sleep for a few nights. At the time I wasn't hunting, I like to go for nighttime walks to clear my head but I never go without my gun. Stay safe, and be careful because I don't know what it was. Hello, Horror Den. Have you ever heard about the real stories of Okinawa ghosts? Having personally experienced numerous eerie moments while working in the now-abandoned Naval Hospital Okinawa, I can attest to the lingering presence of the supernatural. The hospital, now a mere empty shell, stands on Camp Lester, but its basement harbors a haunting secret, an enduring reminder of its gruesome past. Blood stains still mar the walls, bearing witness to the horrors that once unfolded within. During my fourth year, just before my permanent change of station, PCS, I had a spine-chilling encounter. One of the janitors, a sweet elderly Japanese man who had been a part of the hospital for decades, took me down to the basement. He revealed to me that it had been the morgue, a place where he had witnessed unspeakable sights. He recounted how he had painstakingly collected body parts that had fallen out of the body bags. The gruesome memories of the hospital's early days had left an indelible mark on his soul. However, it was my own personal experience on the fifth deck ramp that truly sent shivers down my spine. I often ascended the stairs to assist with labor and delivery, and the hospital had ramps in place to facilitate movement during typhoons or elevator malfunctions. It was on one such occasion that I found myself transporting a peacefully sleeping mother to the postpartum ward. As I glanced out of the window, an image froze me in my tracks, a head, a floating head right outside the window. The sight was undeniably terrifying. Others had witnessed it too, confirming my belief that I was not alone in this eerie encounter. Yet, despite the corroboration of others, I could not shake off the feeling of unease that gripped me whenever the memory resurfaced. In my mind, I attributed it to the exhaustion and sleep deprivation that often plagued those who worked within the hospital's haunted halls. While backpacking through Yellowstone, my girlfriend and I found ourselves in grizzly territory for the first time. Black bears didn't bother us much, but grizzlies were a whole different story. After a tiring day of hiking, we set up camp for our second night. We cleaned up, had dinner, hung our scented items and food, and settled into bed. In the depths of my REM sleep, my girlfriend suddenly shook me awake, terrified by the sound of growling. Convinced that a bear had invaded our campsite, she had been gripped by fear. Instantly, I snapped awake, adrenaline coursing through my veins, ready for fight or flight. Without hesitation, 
I reached for the bear spray. For a tense minute, we sat in absolute silence, and then we heard the growling again. To our surprise, it wasn't a bear, it was something similar to Sasquatch. It was tall, hairy, bipedal and human-like. Startled by our presence, he quickly fled the scene. On March 22, 2013, I, Officer Mike Milner, was checking out a report of missing livestock in the area around Luca Chuckai, Arizona. I joined Navajo officers in the search and investigation, hoping to find some clues as to where the animals had been taken. We couldn't find any dead animals initially, but Officer Larry Wanaka soon discovered heavy footprints that belonged to a single set of tracks. These tracks led us towards a valley nestled between two close-together cliffs, and there we found the gruesome scene where the animals had been killed and taken, their throats ripped open and tongues removed. I decided to climb up into one of the cliff areas, armed with my rifle, keeping watch for any signs of more of these creatures. What happened next was truly astonishing. I later shared the experience exclusively with cryptozoologists, recalling how, while I was at my post, I heard the sound of something large approaching. I couldn't see anything, but I kept hearing it get closer and closer, I recounted. I turned on my light and saw a towering, dark figure about 15 to 20 feet away. It was huge, yet its features were indistinct, no eyes, no mouth, just plain skin covering its body. It was completely naked, devoid of any identifiable gender characteristics. Before I could react, the being swiftly darted away. It was just a crazy moment. I've been working in this area for about 10 years now, and I've never heard of or seen anything like that, I added. While I mention the notion of skinwalkers, I must admit that I don't believe it was one. However, my knowledge of Navajo mythology and folklore is limited. Nevertheless, my department chief seems to have an idea about the identity of the creature we encountered referring to a specific shaman. Initially, we laughed it off, I concluded, but after witnessing what this entity did to our animals, there's no doubt in my mind that it exists. It's worth noting that skinwalkers have long been a topic of speculation. While many Navajo people believe in them, state and law enforcement officials often remain skeptical. Back in 2009, a viral video supposedly showing an upright walking figure stirred intrigue. It marked the first time an officer had such a close encounter with one of these creatures. In 2011, the FBI released documents about skinwalkers, but they were largely dismissed and never gained traction in the mainstream media. These leaked documents are now nearly impossible to find. When contacted, the Navajo Nation Police Department, or NNPD, offered no comment on the story. They seem to be extremely cautious about what they choose to publicize and respond to, likely aiming to downplay any rumors or accusations. My name's Dean. I used to be a ranger of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park located in Northern Carolina. I was guiding a group of Spanish tourists and none of them knew English our communication was more than terrible. I left them near a river, returning to base. Two hours go by. I returned to see if everybody was fine and if nobody was lost. We went back to a safe place. 
The afternoon was turning into night, and being there would be extremely dangerous. We arrived, and one of the tourists told me that we'd forgotten somebody, a young woman with a notebook. He told me she was trying to collect some data about birds and insects. Immediately, I went to search for her. I took everything I had before going. I told everybody to stay there, and I'd be back in a half hour flat. The forest was dark. The insect noises. I heard her distressed call near the river. I arrived there, and she was being attacked by bats. I grabbed my gun, firing several shots into the air. The bats fled, and the woman had some superficial bite wounds. She panicked and fainted. I waited for her to recover, then took her back to the safe place so I can get her first aid. We were walking. She was having some difficulties, even if I was helping her. The forest was dark, and suddenly began to rain. As we walked harder, some hours had passed, and we had arrived. The other tourists were waiting for our return and became shocked at what had happened. I gave her first aid. All the tourists asked to get back to the city. I told them that would not be possible in that condition. It was raining a lot, the track was wet, and we would all probably suffer accidents. I told everybody to sleep, and when the morning appeared, the young woman was dead. Her body had more wounds than last night. An old man had some bite wounds on his left arm and did not wake up. His wife had tried to wake him, but when he finally woke, he had a severe heart attack and died. The old woman in tears, the other two tourists tried to calm her down and ask me what happened. After hours of searching, night came, and this time I was completely alone. Five years of working as a ranger of this park gave me the knowledge to be prepared for anything or so I thought. At midnight, I heard a strange noise sounding like a huge airplane or something. I decided to go see what was happening. I arrived and saw something that nobody would believe in my words, giant bats, and I'm not talking about regular bats. These were massive, the size of humans, and what's worse, as I saw them in the light, they were human hybrids, part human, part bat, and they were devouring the body of a wolf with hands and claws and a face that looked like a demon. I panicked, running faster than I could. These things saw me, flying off in the sky and taking my direction, almost trying to catch me. The woods were dark, and my light only prevailed through so much darkness. I entered a small cavern that would provide me ample coverage. I guess you can call it a cavern, it was more like a little outing in the wall. But they were flying in the air, looking for me. They looked like large deformed black dogs, taller than humans, red eyes, and long tails. I shot at one of them, and they came screaming in my direction. I waited for the right moment to run, returning back when I had arrived. I could still hear them flying around in the distance. I told everybody to keep quiet, immediately radioing my boss, telling him we have an issue. He asked that I speak with him in private as it sounded like he kind of already knew what was going on. When I spoke to him, he threw some paperwork in front of me and told me to sign it. It was an NDA. He looked at me and told me, this is not going to be the first time you have to sign these. Better get used to it on this job, which is why I have to be very careful with my identity. At the beginning of this story, I told you my name was Dean. Obviously, I'm sure you've already guessed that's not my real name. It's merely a placeholder.
I guess there are several other rangers who have seen these same bats. What they are, I'm not sure. Could they be the elusive bat squatch? Possibly. But they looked far more hideous, and unlike a bat squatch, they were not covered in hair. They were far worse. Unfortunately, not always as it seems in these national parks, and many of these things were told to keep quiet about. All I can say is for anyone wanting to venture out at night, be very, very careful, whether you're in a national park or not. A peaceful Mohican village was nestled in the heart of the forest. Men, women, and children were engaged in their everyday tasks, cooking, crafting, and storytelling. Suddenly, a deafening roar shattered the tranquility. Panic ensued as the villagers looked towards the nearby woods, fear etched on their faces. An unknown predator, monstrous and swift, lunged out of the woods. The villagers scrambled to defend themselves, wielding spears and bows. Chaos and desperation filled the air. The predator unleashed a fury upon the Mohicans, attacking with relentless ferocity. Men, women, and children fall victim to its savage onslaught. Amidst the chaos, only one man, winged hawk, manages to survive. Covered in dirt and blood, he clutches a wounded arm, pain etched on his face. Winged hawk looks around, his eyes filled with a mix of horror and determination. Tears stream down his face as he gazes at the lifeless bodies of his fellow tribesmen. Voice trembling, I'll do my vengeance. Winged Hawk rises to his feet, his body filled with a newfound resolve. He glances towards the dark woods, his eyes burning with a mix of rage and sorrow. Winged Hawk prepares himself for the journey ahead. He dons a ceremonial headdress adorned with feathers, symbolizing his connection to his ancestors. With a solemn expression, Winged Hawk tightens the grip on his bow and arrows. He carries a tomahawk, his weapon of choice in his quest for vengeance. Winged Hawk ventures deep into the dense forest, his footsteps determined and unwavering. He navigates through thick undergrowth and treacherous terrain. Winged Hawk discovers a hidden cave, a place filled with ancient symbols and remnants of his tribe's history. He kneels, bowing his head in prayer and seeking guidance from his ancestors. Winged Hawk emerges from the cave, infused with spiritual strength and resolve. He knows he must confront the unknown predator that decimated his people. Winged Hawk arrives at an abandoned temple, its crumbling walls a testament to the passage of time. Shadows dance around him, as if the forest itself holds its breath. The unknown predator emerges from the shadows, its eyes gleaming with malicious intent. Winged Hawk locks eyes with the beast, unflinching in the face of imminent danger. A fierce battle ensues, the clash of weapons and roars filling the air. Winged Hawk fights with unmatched agility and skill, his every movement calculated and precise. With each strike, Winged Hawk feels the weight of his fallen tribe on his shoulders. Determination fuels his every action as he refuses to yield, unleashing his vengeance upon the predator. Winged Hawk lands a fatal blow, striking true and bringing the unknown predator to its knees. As it takes its final breaths, Winged Hawk gazes into its eyes, a mix of triumph and sorrow in his own. Winged Hawk kneels beside the lifeless predator, 
his hand gently touching the beast's hide. A single tear falls, carrying the weight of his people's loss and the fulfillment of his vengeance. I was stationed in Anbar province, Iraq, tasked with watching over a bridge that spanned some railroad tracks. It was October 31st, and a freak electrical storm suddenly rolled in, casting an eerie atmosphere over the area. As the storm intensified, I couldn't help but notice that the antennas on my up-armored vehicle began to flicker and emit an otherworldly glow, resembling those glass electricity balls I used to play with as a kid. It was an unsettling sight, to say the least. What made the situation even spookier was the fact that my second truck was positioned about one kilometer away, keeping a watchful eye on another section of the road. With the storm raging and the night being Halloween night, we felt isolated and alone in the darkness. To ease our apprehension, I made the decision to flip the truck around so that my turret faced the bridge. This way, both the driver and I could maintain a watchful gaze on our surroundings, ensuring our safety. As the hours wore on, the storm continued to unleash its fury upon us. The rain fell in torrents, drumming relentlessly on the vehicle's metal exterior. The occasional thunderclaps rattled our nerves, accentuating the already tense atmosphere. It was a night like no other, filled with an uncanny sense of being watched. Despite the swirling fears and unease that had settled upon us, the night passed without any notable incidents. By the time morning finally arrived, we breathed a collective sigh of relief, eager to leave the bridge behind and put the unsettling experience behind us. Nothing out of the ordinary had occurred, yet the memory of that night would forever remain etched in our minds. Looking back, it was a surreal and bizarre encounter, a Halloween night like no other. Whether it was a mere trick of the storm or something more supernatural, I couldn't say for certain. A few years ago, I found myself sitting on the edge of a cornfield, shotgun in hand, early deer season. I wasn't there long before a group of does walked right up to me. Since I was just there for meat and not picky, I picked one out, set my sights on her shoulder, and pulled the trigger. It was a solid hit and she fell as fast as she ran. Only made it a dozen yards or so before collapsing in a twisted heap. Now, the other four or five does that were with her ran in the same direction and stopped where she fell. They all just stood there, standing around her, looking down at her for a minute and trying to make sense of it. Then the danger they were in dawned on them and they all took off. I got up and walked over to the deer and sat down and stroked her fur. I had this kind of overwhelming feeling that I had shattered some sort of primordial, ancient balance. I wasn't part of it all, I wasn't some predator stalking prey to survive, I was some guy who had come out to the woods to impose his will and for no other reason that I just preferred the taste of meat. I wasn't starving. I felt like a bully. I had taken a gun and violently punched a hole in an animal clearly capable of thought and sentience. Just because I felt like it. I sobbed as I got the deer and dragged her back to the truck. I took her home and she fed my family for a while. We made candles and soap from the fat and I donated the hide. But after that I was done. I realized then that even just going to the grocery store to buy a pound of burger was basically just the same, or even worse, 
since those animals never had a chance to live freely. So I decided that in good conscience I could no longer eat meat if I wasn't starving. I can easily sustain my life without it, and so I think I should do that. Suwon Air Base, 1989. There was an old ghost story about some security police, Air Force MPs, or some Republic of Korea Air Force MPs that were on duty near the end of runway when they freaked out because B-17s were landing at the base. Now, at the time, we'd all heard the ghost stories of the B-17s at our AF Lake and Heath, was it? I don't remember, all I remember was the story. Well, at the time, in order to complete a loop around the perimeter road, you had to cross the active runway, and there were our OKAFSPs OK that guarded it so that no traffic would cross without clearance from the tower. My friend and I would walk this road at night sometimes just for something to do, get a little exercise, whatever. One night on one of such walks, we got this fog rolling in. Unlike any other fog I've ever seen, like visibility was about 5 feet. Usually, it was somewhere around 50 feet, but they would make us walk the trucks home, lower-ranking airmen walking the white line with a flashlight, usually a Lackland laser, in front of the truck so the driver knew not to run off the road, drive into the other lane, or run over said airmen. But I digress. The fog was bad. And dead silence ensued. We had walked around to the entry control point where the Rokoff guys were stationed, and we shined our flashlights and presented our flight line clearance badges, line badges, to us, but we didn't expect them to let us pass because we would be walking on the active runway for a few hundred yards, and besides, they never let us before, but we always tried anyway. Right in the middle of our plea to cross, we all heard planes. Prop jobs. Big ones. Not turbo props like the sound of a C-123 or C-130, but very distinct. Radial engines. ND lots of them. Being that Air Force bases host a lot of air shows, you tend to be able to pick out certain engine types, and these were definitely not turboprops, I've only heard these engines on the old girls flying at air shows. Nothing should have been airborne in fog that thick. Even the mosquitoes were grounded that night. The two Korean SPs just looked at us, looked at each other, and then noped the F out. Left their shack, got into their truck, and drove off leaving us standing there. We never saw anything, but we heard several large aircraft fly over the base in an approach pattern, but nothing ever touched down. Since we had not been told we couldn't cross, we went ahead and crossed the road, and the active runway, shortening our walk to about a half mile back to the barracks. My friend and I never spoke about it. These events have never kept me from going back into the woods. The Keweenaw Peninsula in Michigan. Myself and a friend have a decently remote camping spot not far from Lake Superior. We've been going up there for 12 years, usually twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall. On two such trips, both in the fall, our campsite has been stalked by wolves. They come within 30 yards of camp, always at night. You never hear them howl, you can just hear them walking through the brush. We've caught glimpses of them using those high-lumen battery-powered LEDs. They do not run when yelled at, 
which is scary as shit. It's kinda freaky sitting by a small campfire and have wolves come check you out. We never shoot at them, but two shots from a 44 mag and they never come back. We've also had bears wander into camp while we are sleeping. Loud clumsy FS. Not nearly as eerie or frightening. Yelling at them does the trick and they take off. I walked into a pot growing operation outside Santa Cruz, California. Took a minute to figure out why there was black tubing running everywhere. Got the F out of there in a hurry. Also, had a close encounter with a bear in Colorado. I was visiting and not used to the elevation. If I had had to run, I would have been the easiest meal that bear ever had. I also stumbled into an abandoned homeless camp in a pretty suburban part of Virginia. Except that his wasn't abandoned after all. Saw seven or eight guys standing back in the woods staring at me. Backed up the way I came in. None of them ever moved. No one said a word. Weird thing is that they were all dressed exactly alike. Brown jackets, green pants. Now for the final story. There's one encounter that really stands out though. I was day hiking the ridges above Raton, New Mexico. I'd been out quite a while when I came across a well-picked over deer carcass. There weren't any fresh tracks around it, but that's a real clear indication that I'm on some large predator's home turf. Time to go. As I'm climbing down off the ridge, not the way I came up, I see a flat area with an odd round stone formation. Think Stonehenge but the rocks aren't squared off. Each of rocks are all taller than I am, and formed a darn near perfect circle. I'm a little creeped out, but I step in for a closer look. The second I crossed through the rocks it was like an electric shock. Immediate goosebumps, the hair on my neck is standing up, and every nerve in my body is screaming at me to be somewhere else right now. I scrambled down the rest of that ridge way out of control. I was lucky not to hurt myself cause at some points I was just jumping without looking where I was going to put my feet. I did not look back once. 20 years on, I still cannot explain my reaction. I'm not given to extreme flights of fancy. I'm not afraid of things that go bump in the night. I'm not a religious person and I don't believe in evil with a capital E but I did that day. Something horrific happened there once. And it will happen again. In Thailand we have a territorial defense force where it's pretty much the national reserves. Most do it to get away from the draft though. This event happened last year during my first time at the camp so we are at a three-day camp at the training base in Kachanaburi province called Kai, literally translating to Chicken Crash Mountain. They say it used to be a battlefield where the Siamese and the Burmese clash all the time centuries ago and that it's haunted as f. On either the first or the second night, I couldn't remember, I was picked for the graveyard shift duty, 1 a.m. 3 a.m., to patrol around our sleeping quarters. Others had a stationary place to guard, the front entrance, back entrance, toilets, armory etc. Me and my partner walked around the camping grounds around three times and both agreed that we should sit down and rest for a while. We went to sit at the front entrance which was just a paved road with the other side being a dense forest with a small walkway that would lead to a restaurant area around 200 meters away to its right. 
Just so you know the camping grounds were surrounded by dense forests which we call Pa Cha, slow jungle. Which are always places where supernatural stuff reside and scary as hell because they're just thick jungles that no one has been in. During our quiet rest at the paved road, I heard a sound of a person walking. Not just on the pavement or the restaurant area. But in the Pa Cha on the other side of the road. I told myself that it's just a dog or a restaurant owner that wants to take a piss at 2am but deep inside I knew that the restaurants were towards a different direction and there were barely any stray dogs in this camp. The footsteps were just pacing around, wandering, endlessly, in a very dense jungle. In most of the countries in SEA we have a tradition to not draw attention to supernatural things, So I asked my friend who was stationed at the front entrance if he could hear anything he said no, just to clarify I asked him again after the camp he said he could hear footsteps but he thought it was the wind. The sound of someone stepping and walking through what sounded like knee-height grass along with the sight of a dark, dense, spooky forest just sizzles my spine. I told my partner we should go for one last patrol and hand it over to the guys on the 3 to 5 a.m. shift but honestly I just wanted to get out of there. Sucks for the front entrance guards the next day we had night training and the drill sergeants told us that sounds like horse galloping, digging, elephant footsteps, swords clashing and sharpening, in the pacha were to be ignored and never to be investigated. I never got closure on what that sound really was. I'll be there again in a few months though. Hope I don't find anything like this again. It was another one of my bear hunting adventures, and I had just finished cleaning a massive black bear I had taken down. The sun was beginning to set, casting an eerie glow over the dense forest. The air was thick with the earthy scent of pine and anticipation. As I meticulously prepared the bear, my ears caught a distant sound. It started as a low, haunting howl that echoed through the trees. The hair on the back of my neck stood on end and a shiver ran down my spine. Timber wolves. Their mournful cries seemed to fill the entire forest, sending a chilling sensation down my spine. Just as I was about to shake off the uneasiness and pack up my gear, something caught my eye. Glancing at the trail camera I had set up earlier, my heart skipped a beat. There it was, a chilling image captured by the camera. A timber wolf stood tall and proud, its eyes shining with an untamed wildness. But that wasn't all. Right beside it, standing on two legs like a bipedal creature, was a dogman. The sight sent a surge of fear through me, as if something primal within me recognized the danger. The dogman's presence, so close to where I had been just 20 minutes ago, made my skin crawl. It was an encounter that defied explanation, leaving me unnerved and filled with a mixture of curiosity and dread. It was a crisp autumn morning, and I found myself scouting a river bank alongside my brother-in-law, eager to discover potential duck hunting spots. The sun's golden rays filtered through the trees, casting a warm glow on the surrounding landscape. Little did I know that this peaceful excursion would soon take an unexpected turn. As we ventured deeper into the wilderness, our eyes scanning the horizon for signs of waterfowl, we began to notice peculiar markings on the ground, bare sign. 
A mix of excitement and caution filled the air, for black bears were known to be elusive creatures. Yet, curiosity propelled us forward, and we pressed on, hoping to catch a glimpse of one of these magnificent creatures. It wasn't long before our attention was drawn to a nearby oxbow, a potential haven for ducks. Anxious to assess its suitability as a hunting spot, we cautiously made our way towards it. However, our eagerness soon gave way to astonishment and a primal sense of fear. Standing about 50 to 60 yards away, in all its towering glory, was the biggest black Bigfoot I had ever personally laid eyes upon. Its presence was awe-inspiring, and I couldn't help but feel a mixture. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. ...of wonder and trepidation. Time seemed to stand still as we locked eyes with this enigmatic creature. Sensing our presence, the Bigfoot appeared nonchalant, showing no overt interest in our company. Yet, an unspoken understanding passed between us, we were unarmed, vulnerable in the face of such raw power. Had it chosen to close the distance, it could have done so with ease. The realization sent a chill down my spine. In that moment, we knew that our best course of action was to retreat slowly, step by cautious step, without turning our backs. Our hearts raced as we walked in reverse, our eyes never leaving the formidable figure before us. The Bigfoot, seemingly unbothered by our presence, remained stationary, a silent sentinel observing our retreat. Finally, with a mix of relief and gratitude, we reached a safe distance. The creature made no attempt to pursue us, choosing instead to vanish into the dense forest. It was a surreal encounter. My family and I went on a trip to the Hocking Hills area of southern Ohio a few weeks ago. There was a place that I always wanted to visit, the abandoned ghost town Moonville Rail Tunnel. I have never been to this area, so I didn't know what to expect, but I did know it was pretty deep in the woods. We took a trip from our rented cabin using Google for GPS to the location. We start driving and it's, for lack of better words, 
Real impoverished where we are driving or hills have eyes-esque. We literally only see a few cars on the way there and are on back roads. We get to a point where we need to enter into a forest and we are close to the tunnel. There was a sign that said we were entering Bubblewood. For a little additional information, I drive a Mercedes that I am just lucky to have and have my husband in the car, a black man with dreadlocks, my 10-year-old non-verbal autistic son and my 6-year-old daughter. We drive down this real creepy stone road into the forest and there is nothing back there, no houses, no cars, nobody. We see signs that we are close and pull in the parking lot. There is a footbridge with a ton of on it that people put there. We walk over the footbridge and make our way toward the tunnel, which is a lot larger than I expected. We hear this sound coming from the other side of the tunnel that goes into the woods away from the parking lot. A truck comes driving through the tunnel toward us while we are on foot. He gets out of his truck with a chainsaw and it's a white guy in his 60s. He walks with my entire family everywhere we go and through the tunnel. I tried to make small talk with him and pull some info about if he worked for the Department of Natural Resources, etc. He really wasn't budging. We turn around to walk out of the tunnel and he starts using a chainsaw behind us and the sound is just echoing through this tunnel. At this point, we have no cell phone service and literally no one knows my family is out there except us. I was already worried my car was sending the wrong idea to people like we have money or something, we don't. We rush to the car to get the kids in their booster seats and this MF comes driving over the footbridge in his truck towards us in the parking lot. I honestly don't even know how his truck fit on it. He stops again and gets out of his truck and starts walking the other direction, much to our relief. About this time, I notice there are dusty handprints on my car. I asked my husband if they were his and we compared his hand and my son's and they were not a match. I don't know who could have touched the car because we were with the chainsaw man the entire time we were there. We get out of there as fast as possible. Just a few minutes later, I look in my rearview mirror and there is a bunch of dust kicked up behind us and there he is. He had to have driven pretty fast on the stone road to catch up to us like that. There is nowhere to go in this woods. The road is basically one lane and we have no cell service or GPS every time I think we lose him, he is there again. I am waiting for my tires to get popped or something or for this guy to ram me off the road into a ravine in the woods. Finally we get out of this woods and I turn out and he's still following. We were following printed directions to get back and I ended up making a wrong turn in the excitement. The guy in the truck was finally gone and I turned around to go back past the stone road that goes into the forest. There is one lone house near this road and there is his truck. Parked there. He had to have seen us drive onto this road into the woods and taken some back way to the tunnel. I don't know if he was just trying to protect the site from more graffiti or what, but he really creeped us out. It was like every scary movie trope rolled into one single event. When I first saw the shadow men it would have been about 8 years old. My family of 5 had just moved to a 3 bedroom house around the time when my youngest brother was 8 months old. I should mention that this house was in a well-populated neighborhood, not in the countryside. This house had a large basement that was split long ways into two sides. One side had a laundry room in the far back, 
a bathroom, a round mirror right outside of the bathroom on the opposing wall, and what we called the toy room right next to the stairs. The other side was the family den. The stairs to the basement separated these two sections. I hadn't been in that house for more than a week when I had first seen it. I was in the basement getting something, either a toy or a book, I don't recall. It was around late afternoon. The light was streaming in from the egress windows. At first, I thought it was my father, but I quickly realized that this figure was not only a head taller than he was but thinner too. It also didn't have a reflection. If I had to give an estimate now I'd say it stood maybe six and a half feet tall. It wasn't thin like some depictions I've seen. The one I saw that day had the typical fleshed out proportions of a man. At this point, only a few seconds had passed. I just stood there staring at it. I had a pit in my stomach and I knew even though I couldn't see its eyes, it saw me too. I cannot emphasize this enough. This wasn't a human. I was alone in that basement. The light coming from the windows didn't seem to cast any shadows onto it. There's no face, no clothes, and no indication of a three-dimensional form. The thing almost looked like it was a hole cut from the fabric of reality itself. The sense of dread and fear that filled me was something I'd only experienced while facing these creatures. I can't explain it but something deep down told me that it was male. Something also told me that was evil. It said nothing. It just stood there. I took a step back and suddenly it charged at me taking incredibly long strides. The way it moved made it contort. The legs especially looked like they were getting longer. It reached out to me. The hand was as big as my face. It was only three feet away from me. It moved at incredible speed. I started to scream and I ran up the stairs. I ran out of the basement so fast that I actually fell when I reached the main hallway. I told my parents. My father was skeptical and obviously looked, but found nothing. My mother said nothing about it. A few days after the encounter, in the evening hours, my sister and I saw one sitting on the sectional couch in our living room while we were walking to the kitchen for a snack. It was sitting where my mother would sit in the corner of the sectional. His legs were long. The minute it noticed us my younger sister saw it and screamed. It left the couch in one human-like motion and ran through the wall. My mother was in the kitchen and my father was at work. That very night I saw one at my baby brother's nursery window pressing his face on the glass. I knew this one wasn't a person either. My neighbor's backyard porch light was on so this one, much like the first, was completely black like a shadow. My dad went outside with a flashlight. My neighbor joined in the search because they thought it was a pervert trying to spy on us kids. Nothing was found, no footprints at the window, no one fleeing the scene, and no prints on the glass pane. During the next three years, my sister and I would mention these continued sightings to our parents. Each time I was told it was nonsense and to stop terrorizing my siblings with ghost stories and lies. My younger sister mentioned her own sightings that I had never witnessed. I don't know the details. My mother eventually caved and admitted that she saw them too, primarily in the basement. She begged my sister and me to stop talking about them so my brother wouldn't be frightened. She even took us downstairs to pray over the space so that they'd maybe leave. Well, right around the time my brother learned to talk, 
He mentioned playing with the dude. The dude would play with him often, apparently when no one else would. He described it as a tall dark figure but this one is apparently neutral toward him. He mentioned him for years until he turned nine, then he stopped talking about the dude completely. My parents divorced when I was about 12 and my mother and her new husband had two more sons. The older of these two boys, M was about four, he started talking about what he called the shadow man. The shadow man was neutral toward M. I'm now in my 20s and I've kept seeing them throughout my life. It's pretty infrequent now admittedly. When I see them there's still a great dread when they just drift into the walls without approaching me. I added a quick illustration to this email of the shadow that I saw the first time. It seemed to ooze pure evil. I hope this story helps someone out there realize they aren't alone. Since then I've come to terms with these experiences. You wanted a strange story so here's my strange story. First, let me say that I'm the ultimate skeptic. I do not believe in ghosts and stuff that goes bump in the night. As you can tell, I'm from the south. I do a lot of fishing at night. I call it lazy man fishing. You put a lure on the end and put a bell on the end and you pole watch the thing. So I'm fishing one night on my local pond in Shelby County, Alabama. I'm down there on the lake. And I gotta say I keep myself. I'm always armed. I like to believe that if you can get through 12 rounds then you can get to me, so I feel pretty safe. So I'm fishing one night and I get through fishing and I'm getting ready to leave. I load everything up and I pull out onto the main road and I see this dog come across the road, or what I think is a dog. It's about 50 yards up the road. It turns around and looks in my direction. It looks straight at me but it ain't got no eye shine which I find weird because it should have eye shine. So I get along and it's in the left hand lane and I drive by. I looked down at the dog and the dog looked weird to me. I thought, there's something strange about that dog. Well, I go on past him and go up the road, curiosity gets the best of me so I turn around. So I come back down the road and there's the dog, or the animal, down in the ditch. Now to give you an example of the size of the animal, I have a mountain and cur named Charlie. He's probably 45 to 50 pounds, if you know what a cur dog is, you know about the size I'm talking about. So I pull down into the ditch. I mean, headlights on bright, you know, I'm less than 10 feet from this animal, I'm looking at it out the windshield, I'm looking at it. This dog ain't got no hair and his eyes are a little bit larger than normal what a dog's eyes would be and they are solid black. I have no idea what it could be. As I said, I'm a skeptic. I know what I saw. If I'm lying, I'm dying. George Nury, the host, asks if it had mange. That's what I thought but no, it looked. It didn't have the, you know, usually with a dog with mange. It's got patches of hair on it. This didn't have no patches of hair anywhere on it. Nuri asks if it was a dog. Well, I say it was a dog but with black eyes. You never know. It was strange. I can't explain it. There is a creature known to Buddhist monks, but you will probably never hear of its name. They have sheltered it in secrecy for thousands of years high atop a mountain monastery in Tibet. 
Such creatures are made of a kind of plasma. They look much like translucent jellyfish and transfer space between planets. The reason you will never hear of it is that it is a guarded secret of the ancient black masters. For many thousands of years, the order has occupied the monastery which is built into the rock of the mountain. They rarely venture from it. The impoverished peasants below hold and have always held them with great regard. It was the greatest wish of all families that one of their children would be chosen to become one of these monks. Once every twelve years the monastery would open the compound gate to choose which children would be accepted into the teachings. Boys between the ages of five and nine would hike, with their families, the long path up the mountain. The families were not allowed to stay so the children were then left at the gate. The boys would wait outside, in silence and stillness, until the monks would come and choose. They would be made to wait days without food or water. Most would leave and wander home. Once the monk opened the gate and chose those who were deemed worthy, they would be taken within the sanctuary walls. If the parents did not see their child returning from the mountain they knew their son was accepted. Sadly, however, he would never be allowed out or to see his family again until he was in his twenties. While this was hard on their families, they knew that their child would be taken care of and, later in life, be able to take care of the family and bring them honor. In a world of abject poverty and starvation, this was the greatest wish and hope of these parents. The child would be dressed and prepared and led by a monk up to one of the higher building rooms. The monk would unbind ropes that locked two wooden doors and place the boy inside standing before the altar. He would then lock him in alone. Spaces in walls close to the ceiling let in only light. The altar ran the length of the room carved into the rock, five feet high and twelve feet deep. In the center of this step, a round hole five feet in diameter had been bored out. The hole in the stone was perfectly cylindrical twenty feet down and concave at the bottom. Of course, the boy could not see this or the hole itself, only the thing that protruded from it. A clear gelatinous-looking dome-shaped monster seemed to sit on the altar, as the rest of its body tendrils rested within a hole. While the creature had no eyes of its own, it appeared as if someone had penciled Asian eyes onto its mass, and they stared at him. The boy stood frozen crying at the sight. The creature did not move toward him yet somehow drew the soul and life force from the child's body killing him. As his tiny body collapses to the floor, the plasma monster encases his soul in a clear sphere from which it could not escape. It looked like a tiny spark of light inside a glass ball. A tendril moved up from the hole and wrapped around it pulling it beneath. The plasma monster sits upon them, all the while feeding off the trapped soul's energy. There are thousands of these balls in the well. The ones at the bottom are dead and used up, resembling grains of black sand at the bottom of the glass ball. Further up the hole, the souls are newer and still have some life left. It takes a few hundred years of draining and feeding before the soul is completely dead. Many believe the soul cannot be killed, and for the most part, this is true. Yet, this is one of the true monstrosities capable of such an atrocity. Those parents never knew the fate that awaited their child when they brought him to the monastery. They never knew the horror and suffering that beset him. They will never know how his soul suffered for hundreds of years until it was finally wholly consumed. I know you think this is a fairy tale, 
that these things are not possible. The truth is these plasma monsters are real, however, in their natural state, they are harmless gentle giants that move through the vastness of space between planets, not on them. This monster was captured and contained by the evil black order that masks honorable and noble monks. They, who through ritual and ancient rites, entrapped and enslaved this plasma being down here for thousands of years, in its own prison, as an instrument of their black fare. I do not know why they would need this entity to harvest souls for them when they are capable of extracting souls on their own. All I know is that there is a monster with Asian eyes in the monastery on the mountain. In fact, there are many of them. This just happened this week, I was on vacation with my family and they were driving me insane after day 3. I decided maybe I'll take a look on Bumble and see if there were any cute locals to meet up with for an hour or two while my family went to more museums which is not at all my interest. My friends at home also thought it would be a funny story to meet up with a local. For reference I'm a 25 year old female and I was with my parents and younger sister for a week. We were in a remotish area in a small town out west, visiting a lot of national parks so there weren't a lot of people nearby on the apps. I started swiping and soon came across a guy who was my age and looked cute, had similar interests as me so I felt like I would be down to meet up with him. We started talking on the app, then eventually moved to Snapchat, he suggested we go to the next town over, about 30 minutes away, to see the fireworks. I couldn't that night since I had plans with my fam and I was also hesitant about meeting a guy 30 minutes away when so was already out of my element and we were in what felt like the middle of nowhere. He knew I was there to do hiking and parks so he suggested we go for a local hike nearby the next day, a lot of great hiking trails around here. Important side note, I deleted my last name on Snapchat before he added me. So he does not know it I don't know if I had a bad feeling in the back of my mind or what but I didn't want him knowing much of my info. However, it did show his last name which is important later. I had hesitations about going into the woods with a random guy, especially since I had been around the hiking trails the day before and my cell service was cutting in and out. But, the trails were well populated and I did want to see more out there and my family was going to some museums that I had no interest in, so I agreed to meet him the next day. That night, I got a bad feeling and kept getting more nervous about meeting a random bumble man far from home in an area I don't know too well. Even though my family knew where I would be, I was feeling uncomfortable and decided maybe I should just google this guy and see what other info I could find about him like his Instagram or LinkedIn etc. so I could give my family his info while I was gone in case anything happened. I also wanted to verify what I knew about him like his workplace and alma mater etc. Well, I type in his first and last name and the town we are in, in Google, and click on the first link. Next thing I know I am looking at a registered sex offender profile, with his full name, address, photo, description of his offense, etc and it was fairly recent. I'm not sure if I can go into detail here about his offense but I can assure you that had I not googled this man, things could have turned out very very badly for me. Or maybe not, but nonetheless I'm shook that I almost met up with a registered sex offender. Please make sure to do your due diligence when meeting people off of the internet.
Edit, I found out his full name because he added me on Snapchat. My family was okay with me meeting a random guy because I'm an adult and we had just been up to these well-populated hiking trails two days before and they tracked my location on their phones. Edit again, it didn't have a lot of detail about the offense he committed but it said it was R and the victim was an 18-year-old girl and it was a third-degree offense. This is all of the info that was available, that I could find. More info on why I didn't immediately block him. 1. It showed his address on the offender profile and it was less than half a mile from my Airbnb. He didn't know where I was staying, he was going to pick me up but from a local coffee shop because I didn't want him to know where my family and I stayed. 2. The place he worked, a restaurant, was literally across the street from my Airbnb. 3. I didn't want him to know I knew. I don't know why but it made me feel less safe so I just wanted to act like I didn't know, be apologetic we couldn't meet up, and play nice in case I happened to run into him in this very small town, then block him the second I left. I live in Texas, near Fort Worth. A couple of years ago, I was driving my girlfriend of the time home late one night. We stopped at an intersection near her neighborhood where I decided to look down to change the song playing on my phone. When I looked back up, I saw a large black dog run right in front of my headlights. My girlfriend said, whoa, did you see that? I replied, yeah, it was just a dog. No, that dog looks weird, she said. Right there and then it passed in front of my lights again. I was terrified when I noticed it had no features but more like a solid black mass in the shape of a dog. It ran past my window and I noticed it had what seemed like smoke coming off of it. What the F is that? I screamed. It circled around and went past my girlfriend's window going directly into my car's beam of lights again. As soon as it cleared them, I floored it and sped off down the street. We both couldn't believe what we had seen. When we got to her house, we sat in the car and tried to process what had happened. She broke down in tears and revealed to me that an uncle of hers had seen the dog we had just seen shortly before he passed. She said what we had seen was exactly what he had described to her family. He said he felt it was death coming after him. I comforted her as she cried and tried to play tough but deep down I was absolutely terrified. Was it there for her or for me? A couple weeks later I was driving alone one night down a dark country road that I would usually cruise on the weekends. Everything was normal when I noticed something moving just out of the beams of the light of the car on the edge of the road as I drove. I slowed down and was shocked to see what was revealed by my headlights. It was that dog again but this time it was running alongside my car as I drove. I was terrified when I suddenly remembered that the speed limit on this road was 70 miles per hour. This thing was keeping up with me. It was exactly like I had seen it before. A large black mass with smoke coming off of it. As I glanced back and forth between the road and it, I slammed on the brakes. When I turned to look at it, its head was backward, not turned, and it was looking right at me with glowing white eyes. I'd never been more afraid in my whole life. I immediately did a U-turn and hauled my butt back into town. I was shaking the entire way home. Was what I saw a hellhound or something else? Are these things associated with death? 
My grandfather passed shortly after these events. I've spotted the dog a couple of times since then while driving but only for a brief moment as I passed it. This happened last night. I worked late at our retail shop. We close at 5 p.m. except for six weeks during the summer when there are street dances from 7 to 9 right out in front of our place. We're one of the sponsors and we give two $25 gift certificates as prizes for each of the weeks. Since many folks who are attend are on vacation here I like to stay open during the street dance. If someone wins, they can walk 50 feet over to spend their prize even if it's the last night of their trip. Plus, the music is cool, they always have a good band. So after closing and doing the books I got home about 10-ish. Normal. It's just my wife and me, plus the dog and four cats. We tend to go to bed and get up early. It's a rural area. We have neighbors but we're on a quiet lake and it was all quiet and dark by the time I rolled in. The wife and I often sleep in separate bedrooms because she has trouble getting to sleep and I, do not at all. I trained myself to go to sleep fast decades ago and it has stayed with me. I can often get to sleep in two to three minutes and I snore. We both do, but I definitely take the laurels for volume. I have woken myself up with loud snoring more than a few times. So I was unsurprised and unbothered to see a note asking me to sleep in one of the spare bedrooms when I entered the dock and quiet house. Our main bedroom is in the finished washerman and she was there. So I settled into the place I usually choose on the upper level. It's a double bed and a small bedroom that also hosts my laptop, the dog's feeding station and a water fountain for all Ray pets. I like the flowing water sound. I recently washed this set of bedding and reinstalled it back on this bed instead of changing it out for another set. Just part of normal household chores but I know I'm the one who handled it the last several times in a row. It's pretty fresh, has been used three nights since then. About 4 a.m. or so, by my best estimate, I woke all feeling something odd and blocky on the edge of the bed nearest the wall, away from me. And it wasn't just don't thib glues. It was a hard squared off lump underneath the sheet. Not very small. Bigger than my hand, just a little. Really weird thing to feel at that time, in THST place. I told myself it was a weird dream and went back to sleep. I woke at my normal time of 6, feeling a bit groggy. I felt over to the side of the bed where the blocky object had been. Still there. I pulled at the sheet and was able to remove it. It was a piece of 2 by 4, 6 or 7 inches long. Odd as F. Convinced I was clearly still dreaming I rolled over and went back to sleep. I woke about 6.30 feeling a bit closer to normal. Got up, had coffee, breakfast. Did chores, tended critters and plants, headed off to the shop. Got in this evening about 6. Watched Prey on Hulu with the wife, agreed to sleep in the same places, ate dinner, did Botmal evening at home stuff, came into the room and began disrobing for bed. Sitting on the cedar chest across from the bed is a 6 to 7 inch piece of 2 by 4. We haven't had any chunks of 2 by 4 sitting around this place in 6 years since I finished out the basement. I burned all the leftovers in our fire pit by the lake years ago. There have been no visitors. There is no lumber stored here, period, 
scrap or otherwise. I'm stumped as to how this piece of wood appeared where and when it did. It's enough out of place as to have me thinking I dreamed it when encountering it at first. I don't have known enemies. And it's not like waking up to a horse's head in the bed, what's the message to a piece of wood? It's a bit of wood. Yet I am a bit creeped out at how it could have got to be where it is. Are the trees sending me a message? WTF? Back in 1979 I found this while visiting my grandparents in Carmichael's Township, Pennsylvania, Greene County, for the weekend. One of my uncles is having a house built on a piece of land about a quarter mile down the road from my grandparents' house. My uncle was over at my other uncle's house a few miles away. My father wanted to go see his property and construction progress so we walked down the road to see it for ourselves. A workman's van parked in the front part of the property where he kept all his tools and some other equipment. His dog, a big German shepherd that loved to bark and make his presence known to everyone, was chained to his van as a deterrent to anyone that might try to steal his tools. As we approached my uncle's property we noticed that his dog wasn't barking or growling. His dog had crawled underneath the van and was whining like it was scared. I remember my father and I thought this is very odd but decided to walk around back where the new house was being built. About 50 to 60 feet beyond his work bin where his work van was parked was a hill that was dug out for the foundation of the new house. There's also a large tree there and that is where we saw it. My father saw it first and told me to stop. It was large, it was wide, and it was black. The creature must have heard us and was leaning against the tree just staring at us. We temporarily froze. It slowly moved so that it was partially behind the tree and its head was visible from the other side, kind of like he was playing peekaboo. I remember my father leaning to the side to get a better view when this creature stepped out from behind the tree in full view. That was the point when my father threw me over his shoulder and did a full-on sprint back to my grandparents' house a quarter mile away. It didn't appear to be aggressive but I guess my father didn't want to take any chances. We got to their house and my father yelled for everyone to get in the back room and stay put. He called his other brother that lived on the other side of town and told him to bring his shotguns. Both of his brothers showed up and they all went back down the road to investigate, hence the saying there's nothing more dangerous than a scared human being. They didn't find anything not even the dog who had crawled back up underneath the van. My uncles gave me and my dad a bunch of grief over this whole story and said we had just seen a black bear. Well, that was no black bear. Being that this event happened so long ago I can't accurately say how tall the creature was, it was 50 to 60 feet away, but it was larger than any person I've ever seen, maybe 7 or 8 feet tall. What really stuck with me over these years was just how wide the creature was. It was massive, probably twice the width of a large man. It is pretty much spot with that Bigfoot scene in the Patterson-Gimlin film. A few days later one of my uncles called my father when he went back to work a couple of days later. He said one of his co-workers actually approached him and said, You are not going to believe what I think I saw over the weekend when I was out fishing. Apparently, there were numerous sightings over the weekend from several miles away and the local news people even wrote an article about it. 